I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Every fortnight, we bring you a mixture of features and discussions, exploring every aspect of gardening, growing your own fruit and vegetables, plant care, pest control, garden design and container ideas, plus expert seasonal advice on what you should be doing in your garden right now. I'm Jenny Bowden, one of the RHS's team of horticultural advisors, based here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. Coming up in this edition, plants for the problem areas in your garden. This week we discuss dry shade, producing the perfect peppers, an expert guide to chilli cultivation and, as always, the latest news on RHS garden events across the UK. But first, let's hear what jobs gardeners can be tackling in the next few weeks if they can face the weather. I'm Lee Hunt, I'm the Principal Horticultural Advisor here at RHS Garden Wisley. A job that can be done right through the winter is to tend to blackberries. Now, I mean two sorts of blackberries here. On the one hand, we've got the sort that are in the fruit garden and the other sort of the brambles, which are right through your borders. Starting with the borders, well, you probably don't want them poking out all through your shrubs. uh, But at this time of year, you can scrabble in underneath and find where they're actually growing from out of the ground and take something like a border spade, which is sharp and small, And you can easily weave that in and literally chop into the base and then pull them out. They actually come out quite easy if you do them like that. And if you do a few inches into the soil, you'll pull out the whole of the base with the shoots so it won't regrow. Going on to the sort of uh, ones we want, which are the ones in the fruit garden. This time of year, you'll have all the old fruited canes left over from last year. They want cutting down now to the base. So literally removing those. But you'll find there's the brighter, greener canes, though the new ones that grew at the end of last season, they're going to fruit this summer, so tie them in. Try and get them sort of in in a bit of a Y shape, so they're coming up in the middle and then bending out, going fairly horizontally. Tie them in, stops them whipping around, and it'll mean that you'll get lots of fruit this summer. I'm Rob Sterling, and I'm a horticultural advisor here at Wisley. This time of year is a good time to start thinking about repotting or moving on your container plants, um, particularly if they're growing in a greenhouse when the plants are just beginning to come into growth at this time of year. The best thing to do is to consider really what size pot um, you want to put them up into. It's a very bad um, idea to actually take a small plant and then put it into an extremely large pot Um, thinking that it's got plenty of time to grow into it. It's a bad idea for several reasons. Um, Firstly, 
the soil volume in the pot is far in excess of what the plant can use and there's a tendency for that soil then to turn sour and that can cause root disease so that would have a bad effect on your plant. Another thing is that um, the fertiliser in the container um, is only um, able to last for between six weeks and three months. Six weeks for a peat-free compost and three months for a loam-based compost. So if you're thinking of leaving it in that container for several years without moving it, um, the food will eventually run out and the plant wouldn't be very happy in that. The other reason for not putting it into an extremely large container and not potting it on for a long time is because the soil degrades over a period of time. Um, the particles of soil have air spaces between them. And when, when the uh, soil begins to uh, degrade in, in terms of its structure, those air spaces are lost. And that causes the soil to become anaerobic, which means that it doesn't have any oxygen. And the product of uh, bacteria that um, operate anaerobically, uh, one of the products is ethanol, which is alcohol. And that actually kills the roots off of the plant. So again, it's not a good idea to, to leave plants in an anaerobic condition. So really, when you pot them up, um, it's a good idea to only pot them up in incrementally. Put, put them into a pot size which is just slightly larger than the current one. When you reach the size that uh, you can't manage a larger size, then you have to consider something else. It's still important to replace the soil, but obviously you can't increase the pot size any further because you wouldn't be able to manage a larger size. So what you can then do is, is to root prune every two or three years. So take the plant out of the pot every two or three years or so, and using something like an old bread knife or a saw, then cut away up to 25% of the root volume around the root ball itself. And then you can put the plant back into the same size pot with fresh compost and the plant will grow away healthily and retain its vigour. It will also put out lots of new fibrous roots into that new compost, which are good feeding roots. And so that will um, encourage the plant to take up all the nutrients which are in that new compost. In between years, um, rather than, instead of uh, root pruning, in between years you can um, uh, replace the top two inches of soil. Um, just by scraping away and then putting some extra soil on top. Um, and you can keep trees and shrubs in the same size containers uh, going like that indefinitely for, for a number of years and they will retain healthy and vigorous. You can find more tips and advice and video guides to seasonal tasks on the gardening pages of the RHS website. That's rhs.org.uk forward slash advice. I'm Jenny Bowden and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. One of the most popular crops to raise at home are chilli peppers. Easy to care for and available in a wide variety of colours, shapes and sizes. They're ideal plants for those just starting out growing their own fruit and vegetables. Homegrown chilli peppers have fantastic texture and flavour and are much more varied than those available in the shops. Some are mild and others are so fiery they'll make your eyes water. Chilies are perfect for growing in pots and can also be grown outside. We joined passionate chilli grower Joy Michaud from Sea Spring Seeds in Dorset at an RHS show to hear more about this versatile fruit. Chilies are getting more and more popular. It's not a, not a phase, it's not a fad. People are getting into chilies, and once you learn to enjoy chilies in your food, you don't go back. That's part of your diet. Try different flavours, learn how to cook with them, because different chilies suit different recipes, and, and the more you know about them, the more you get out of them. 
chilies and sweet peppers, they're all the same, on the same continuum. They come as um, in different shapes, and they've been very broadly classified by their shape, not size. Now, when you buy a bell pepper in the supermarket, people think of bell as a sweet pepper. Well, bell means the shape. You can get a chili that's a bell pepper because it's classified by shape. Likewise, cayenne doesn't mean hot chili it means a, a pepper chili pepper or sweet pepper that's long and thin fleshed so you can get a, a very very hot cayenne you can get a pepper that's actually a sweet pepper that's a cayenne it's only means shape nothing more and then there are several other different shapes of peppers personally what we've done with chilies is to help people with the cooking we divide them into what we call vegetable chilies and when you cook with them you cook with them as you would a sweet pepper they they, they add bulk to your dish like you would stuff it or you could put in your ratatouille, it, it, it's an ingredient. Then, then there's the spiced chilies, which are equally as wonderful, but they don't add bulk, they are a spice, they're heat and flavour. And the flavour is often as important as the heat, but they don't add any bulk to it, as if they're not there when you eat in the dish. Chilies are rated in what's called Scoville heat units. Uh, it was based after somebody called Wilbur Scoville, who's, who did it by dilutions. But now, it, now it's a chemical test using the dried chilli powder. They work out the, the, the parts per million of three particular chemicals that, that affect our mouths to make them feel hot. And then they convert it into Scoville heat units. It's not a straight conversion because the three different chemicals affect us slightly differently. So you have to adapt it proportionally based on that. Um, sweet peppers are zero because they are in part of the, that continuum. So you start at zero with sweet peppers because there is no capsaicin in them whatsoever. And then you go up and you can get up to a million plus. And these are the chilies that we call super hots. Most people find up to the 5,000 to be a, a mild chili. Then we rate from 5,000 up to about 20,000 Scoville heat units to be a medium. 20 to about 35,000 to be a high medium, and then anything above that is hot. So if you think something rated at 40,000 is considered hot, to the average normal chili eater, you can imagine what something 500,000 is like. And, but some people like it that hot as well. I do a lot of talks on chilies, and one of my most popular ones is 10 top tips for growing chilies. Because chilies are easy to grow, the first top tip is choose the right variety for what you want. There's no point in growing a variety which is going to grow four feet tall if you're going to put it on a windowsill. On the other hand, if you've got a big polytunnel, you don't want one which is only going to grow five centimetres. And you can get both those types, so choose that variety. If you like mild chilies, get a variety that's mild. If you like hot chilies, get a variety. So in other words, do your research. Don't just use a freebie off from some magazine and not know what you're getting. <laughs> and so that's the first get the right variety spend a little bit of money it only costs a couple of pounds but get the right variety next step tip is and this is the biggest mistake people make is sow early you've got to sow late winter early spring that's January February March if it's in April you're late because the point of sowing chilies is you've got to sow them so that they're producing fruit by the beginning of the summer then you have this whole of the summer and the autumn of fruit production. If you sow in May, you won't get any fruit till September. And by that time, things are winding down. So that's the second top tip. Third one is temperature. Well, third and fourth, temperature and light. Chilies are light and heat loving. And if you don't get those right from the seedling stage, you are not going to get a good result. And on seedling stage, we're talking about 27 degrees for germination. 
This is in January and everybody thinks that's way hot, but it's not. It's only a hot summer's day. That's about 80, 85 in Fahrenheit. So a lot of people say chilies like it dry. Well, they can cope with dry and they like free drain of soil. But our top, one of our top 10 tips, I've lost count here, but one of them, is plenty of water. The more water, if they're dry, they'll be survived, they'll cope with it, but they're not growing. They need plenty of water. Also, some varieties are tall, and chilies, some, and if they're tall, they get top-heavy and they will fall. If a tomato falls, it bends, you pick it up and it's fine. If a sweet pepper or a chili plant falls, or a branch falls, it snaps and that's the end of it. So you must give it support before it needs it, otherwise you lose that plant harvest regularly if you've got a pretty plant and you want to keep it pretty leave things on but the more you pick more chilies you get so that's up to you and i think that's the 10 (laughs) joy me show from sea spring seeds in dorset you can find more information and advice on all aspects of growing your own produce on our website rhs.org.uk forward slash gyo or visit itunes to download the free gyo app designed to help you choose and grow fruit and vegetables however much time or space you have rhs.org.uk forward slash iphone every garden big or small has a place or places where it can be difficult to get things growing sometimes problems can be caused by the amount of sun or shade the proximity to trees or indeed walls the type of soil or the lay of the land However, with the right choice of plants and gardening techniques, you can find solutions for these tricky places. I joined Deputy Curator of RHS Garden Wisley, Matthew Pottage, to look at some of the approaches the horticultural teams have used to tackle difficult areas in the garden here in Surrey. We're just going to have a bit of a chat about dry shade. It's a situation that we get called about a lot in the advisory department. seems to cause people a lot of problems, but... um, we like dry shade. How many people in their roles say that at work? I like dry shade. Let's talk about dry shade. Well, I absolutely agree with you because we've got a couple of big woodland areas at Wisley, especially Battleston Hill springs to mind. And there's loads of dry shade, you know, under big pine trees, under big oaks. And I always think, and I always say to people, you know, work with the conditions. There's a lot you can do with dry shade. Uh, I actually don't think it needs to be a problem. No, I suppose uh, the first thing to do is get composting. Um, there's obviously a lot of roots to, to, to dig through underneath trees, um, but if you can improve the soil conditions by adding organic matter, uh, then that is going to really help with holding on to moisture in the soil and get things established. Once things are established, they're much more able to look after themselves and uh, hopefully not need your help with, with the watering. But certainly in the first season, uh, watering is needed. Um, organic matter, leaf mould, collect up leaves, stack them up, put them in bin bags, punch a few holes in the bags um, make sure they don't dry out and a year later you'll have uh, leaf mould you can use recycled garden waste the councils supply that you can use uh, farmyard manures anything that says soil conditioner on the bag down at the garden centre is worth mixing into the soil over the whole area not in the planting holes themselves but over the whole area and then plant your plants and I always think start small, you know, get bulbs going under there. Bulbs normally want to be in the shade of the trees. And then once you've got some bulbs in, start with some perennials or some smaller shrubs and kind of build up from there so you get that whole kind of 
you know, the, the woodland garden look, if you like. Uh, and obviously, I always say to people, if you've got really low down tree branches, but you've got big trees, you know, if there's any way you can slightly lift the lower branches of the tree so you've got some space, you let a bit of filtered light through if it is completely dark, uh, that always is a good start. And with our trees at Wizzy, we just blow, well, maybe we're lazy, you might roll your eyes at me, but we just blow the leaves back under the trees, you know, and let the worms do the work and just build up, as you say, that organic matter, that soil conditioner. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of opportunities um, with the types of plants you use. Uh, if you look if you look up in the in the horticultural books, encyclopedias, and uh, a lot of plants will say full sun, but you don't actually have to have full sun for some of the plants. Uh, so it, it all takes a bit of experience. It depends. It does depend how deep the shade is, and as Matt says, how low down the branches are. If there's any possibility of raising the canopy so that more light can get in, that's going to be an advantage. You're not going to get a lot of summer colour in shade, um, and that, that 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 can be problematic. So you kind of turn to foliage textures contrasts foliage color etc and it can be a lot of fun to to play around with Mm. those textures all your color is going to come from the spring a big spring display you know before the canopy leafs out Mm. that's the nature of of the woodland planting but as you say there's so much fun you can have with foliage colors and lighting up shade uh, takes me to one of my favourite topics, which is variegated plants. You know, I love variegated <laughs> plants. And just seeing, I'm just looking in your your latest article on dry shade in the Garden Magazine, Jenny. And there's a lovely image of a silver uh, pulmonaria. It's got like a lovely silvery leaf. Pulmonarias are great, but also some of the silver leaf selections of Cyclamen hederifolium, lighter brush space. Brunner, is it Jack Frost? Jack Frost. Dawson's white with the white variegation. Brilliant. And you rightly mentioned, because people overlook them, Pittosporum tenuifolium can take some shade. We've actually got an Irene Patterson, the cultivar name, under some dry shade on the eucalyptus garden at, at Wisley on the Med Terrace. And that's doing really well. And it lights up the space with that white on the leaf. What's the... It- Prostanthera, is it? Prostanthera, That seems to yeah. be growing up there. What's its common name? Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's called a mint. Is it's it? a type of mint. It is. Um, it's Prostanthera. in the, the family. Cuneata. Yeah. That's the one. Evergreen, low white growing. flowers, low growing. Smells really nice when you brush against it, that lovely aromatic... But that's pretty shady on. up there. It is. It's very dark shade. And even though, you know... Maybe some of our plants people listening might roll our eyes at hearing this, but some of the evergreen euonymus, that little yeah. one with cuensis with a small green leaf, yeah. spreads, layers, like little waves. And then, you know, your bulbs can come through something as low as that. Uh, there's real fun to be had. Uh, epimediums with their uh, with their spring flowers you can uh, have a lot they're, they're superb for dry yeah, shade yeah. and uh, of course cyclamen under, under pines where nothing else will grow cyclamen are are the um the key, one of the key they're plants great. they're absolutely brilliant and with your epimediums you know they are that great evergreen foil and then late january early february just before those flowers start to come through take the shears over the epimediums whip off all the leaves and then you see all the flowers because sometimes the flowers can be obscured by the foliage uh, and they're good they're they're a bearbris relative aren't they epimediums mm-hmm. they certainly are you'd never know it you'd never know it would you <laughs> no they're quite different but they're good good bomb proof creeping uh, plants for that situation I find Grizzlinia will tolerate some shade as well. Um, walking through the through Battleston Hill at the moment, our, our, one of our woodland areas, it's it's the scent that just stops you, stop 
stared in my tracks and looked around and go, where did that come from? Yeah. So, yeah. so scent is another really lovely thing that you can have a play around with, with choosing plants for, for shade. And on the scent note, then, you know, Sarcococcus, the sweet box, it's sometimes known as Sarcococcus confusa. And my parents have got that on clay soil under a bird cherry, that's Prunus avium. They're known to be shallow rooted. They suck up all the moisture and all the nutrients. And it romps away under there, fills the air with scent. So, yeah, you know, don't overlook Sarcococcus as well. Matthew Pottage, Deputy Curator here at RHS Garden, Wisley in Surrey. For more advice on planting in shady areas, type in shade planting in the search the RHS box at the top right-hand corner of the RHS website pages. If you fancy some fresh air, there are plenty of activities to enjoy at our four RHS gardens. Here at RHS Garden in Wisley in Surrey, RHS Harlow Carr in North Yorkshire, Rosemore in Devon and Hyde Hall in Essex. Come to RHS Garden Wisley until the 8th of March to visit the butterflies in the glasshouse. See beautiful butterflies fluttering around and landing among tropical plants in the glasshouse. There are related family activities in February's half term. And now you can book time tickets on the website for your convenience. Get your children interested in gardening with a Little Acorns Preschool Gardening Club. RHS Garden Hyde Hall on the 4th of February from 10.30 to midday. This fun and informal club encourages a wealth of ideas to stimulate children and get them into gardening. Come to RHS Garden Rosemore on the 5th of February from 11 till 3.30 for the Snowdrop Day. Joe Hines, the owner of the Snowdrop Collection at Cherubir Gardens, is a specialist snowdrop grower and collector who will begin the day with an inspirational talk on snowdrops in the winter garden and a demonstration of the range of species and cultivars. After lunch, a garden walk will reveal some of Rosemore's snowdrop collection. As always, full details of all these events and more are on the RHS website. Go to rhs.org.uk forward slash gardens what's on. So that's all for this edition. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, remember to follow us on Twitter at the underscore RHS and like us on Facebook. For now, from me, Jenny Bowden, and all the RHS Gardening Podcast team, goodbye. Walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. 
Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced-rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.